Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. Namaste, everyone. So good to have you. So good to be here. Tonight we explore the power of the seed, the source, the root. Um, we see this, we will explore this both in terms of the yogic sciences, which are explored, of course, through the sutras, through the lineage teachers, but also a little, you know, parallel with the science of the natural world, because as we know, uh, in, in the beginning, the first texts of yoga were called the Vedas, which means the science. And there is a lot of parallels in the approach for both, in their search for the truth. Um, so before we do that, though, um, we're going to explore a little bit of uh, meditation in motion with Abhaya. And uh, just a little uh, note, um, thank you all so much for the sort of... Uh, incredible outpouring of, uh, how do you put this, um, inspiration on Marco Polo. Uh, after the last class, it's like without a prompt even, the, the, the post just started coming and coming, and there were a lot. Um, for tonight's class, I've got a lot of rich content that I want to cover, and so I'm going to like pause on the Marco Polo recaps in class, but just amazing work. Um, so fun to hear from everyone and to uh, work with that together. Um, it's been amazing. So we'll keep up that good work. I think this class will inspire uh, rich posts as well. But before we do that, let's find our seat. Hi, everybody. I'm Abaya. I think I know all of you, but there's lots of people at Eldo and Shoshone, and some of you are real tiny. So just in case we haven't met yet, it's so great to be here with you. And um, as Satyam was talking about the, the roots of awareness and the seed of the universe, um, it really landed inside for me, like what I love so much about my yoga practice and, and my movement practice is the ability to, to really feel and have awareness as I make whatever movement I'm making. And so we're gonna explore that a little bit together. And so just take a moment to let your awareness bubble up from inside. And just feel the body resting on your chair, your cushion. Start to notice your natural breath flow and see if you can just let it be. No need to deepen it, just observe. And this, this one might be tricky, but maybe you can even observe your heart beating. 
And as you drop into this space of the present moment, just let everything else go. The rest of your day, anything in the mind. See if you can become very interested in the sensations happening right now inside your body in this moment. Maintaining awareness on breath and heart beating ever so gently start to tilt the pelvis to the left, tilt the pelvis to the right. Let this be very slow, very small. I find that the smaller movements take more awareness to feel. Instead of being drawn into the movement, into the sensation, become very interested in your ability to observe. Observe the weight of the pelvis. Observe the gentle swaying of the spine that naturally emanates from these pelvic rocks. So gently allow the weight to start to circle around the base of the pelvis. So instead of just side to side, your exploration expands. And think of the movement as giving your awareness and this light of consciousness something to reflect off of. As you feel the edges of your skin moving through space, keep observing. And try to feel where that ability to observe is coming from. When it feels right for you, you can gently start to circle the other way. And give yourself the freedom to change it up a little. That might mean smaller, bigger circles, slower, maybe even a figure eight. Be open to the body expressing itself and then more importantly, your awareness of that expression. And for the last moments, let your movement get smaller and smaller and your awareness get bigger and bigger. 
until you're completely still and balanced at a single point at the center. Allow the awareness to emanate beyond the edges of your skin to this greater space around you. And see if you can. Bija Vadanam. Bija Vadanam. Bija Vadanam. Now play with it on your own. Bija Vadanam. Bija Vadanam. Maintain breakless awareness on that supreme energy which is the seed of the universe. Maintain breakless awareness on that supreme energy, which is the seed of the universe. Two key words make up this sutra, bija, which is a word that we are familiar with because you've heard of, we refer to it as like the bij mantra, the seed syllable of a mantra. Um, Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha Gam is the seed syllable. It's supposed to encompass the entire power of the mantra in one syllable. And many of our mantras have that seed syllable. Om Shreem Lakshmi Ay Namaha Shreem is the, the bij mantra, the seed syllable. And then breakless awareness is avadana, avadana, and that is the two words combined. You can see avadana in there. So bija and avadana, breakless awareness on the seed of the universe. So, <clears throat> in the natural world, we recognize pretty easily that a seed uh, contains the blueprints and the impulse for what an organism will become. I don't understand how it, it's in there, right? You look at it and you're like, how is a tree in this seed, right? But we know it is. We know it is in there. In the same sense, in the yogic uh, map of manifestation known as the tattvas, which we have here, which we look at quite often in our pursuits in philosophy, uh, this is the big egg-shaped map of creation. And at the very top is the, the seed of Shiva, the, the single point, it is said, a single point, Paramashiva, uh, from which all of manifestation unfolds. A seed, a single point. Shiva, a single point. In the natural world, we know that even as a seed dissolves into the soil, right, and starts to become that sapling, it breaks from the seed and it sort of comes out of the seed and the sapling and the roots start to form. We know that even though we can't see the seed anymore, there's still a blueprint and an impulse happening inside of this organism. 
And of course now we call that DNA. In Yoga 2, we're taught that Shiva is concealed within every cell of existence, every cell of manifestation. So essentially, Shiva is our DNA. A double helix of consciousness and bliss floating in a state of pure being. In the natural world, <laughs> we use a microscope to strip away manifestation in order to perceive and interact with the atomic level of reality. In yoga, in our practice, we use meditation to strip away manifestation in order to perceive and interact with the subtle or atomic level of our being. Both yoga and science teach us that the atomic level of an organism is a storehouse of tremendous power and transformation. If you want to treat a disease, for example, this is where you treat it, you know, at the cellular level. If you want to tap into um, unfathomable power, this is also where you tap into it at the atomic level. One way this comes up in our practice is often is in the discussion of matrika shakti. Matrika shakti. This is the description of the power of vibration which um, is not only present in all of our words, but is also responsible for all of manifestation. But, to keep it simple, it's the power of sound, right? Muktananda describes this layer-by-layer -layer power um, in his book, Nothing Exists That Is Not Shiva. Um, Hey, Arjun, if you can read this next slide, because I know the font is small, would you mind unmuting and reading? It's quite a long quote, but I think it'd be fun for everybody to hear. Everyone is aware of the speech of the tongue. It is called Hikari and corresponds to the gross body. With the subtle intellect, one can also know the second level of speech, which is in the throat. There, words have taken form but have not yet emerged. This level is called Nadiyama and corresponds to the subtle body. At a deeper level, words exist in the heart. This is the third level of speech, Pashyanti, which corresponds to the causal body. Here, words are hidden, and what arises at this level is matrika. The moment one understands the matrika shakti and its work, one is no longer a human being. When the matrika shakti expands within, in this very body, one becomes Shiva. Thank you. And take your time, everyone, with that quote, if you'd like to reread it, of course, or focus on certain aspects.
so our practice our, and a mantra for example you know we know that the tip of the tongue represents just the tip of the iceberg of mantra tip of its power um, this is corresponds to just the physical world vikari and that if we are able to trace that mantra deeper to its source we would stop next at the base of the throat which is a chakra and that here words are just on the verge of forming but they still have they're, they're, they have more of an energetic quality to them and this is corresponding to a deeper level of our being our subtle body as Muktananda says and then we could even go further to the heart the Pashanti level which corresponds to an even subtler body the causal body the one that travels with us from lifetime to lifetime and here the words themselves are actually hidden meaning if you interacted with this layer of the vibration you might not even know what you're saying while you're saying it and what arises at that level is the power of the actual words Babaji often says in satsang that he doesn't he's like surprised at what comes out of his mouth because he's really tapping into these deeper levels of his awareness and speaking literally from the heart and that when you do that it allows your words to really become Shiva's words which for the last few sutras we've been looking at a lot it's called Svatantriya Shakti when your energy goes in the same direction as the current of reality you're swimming with the current of Shiva and your words suddenly have that power behind them not because your power but because you're aligned with the present you're aligned you're open you're surrendered it's flowing through you as a musician would say right and it's at that moment that you really transcend your own limitations and you really are connecting with something that is far beyond us Shiva so it's very possible to interact with this seed level of ourselves while being in our lives in the external world if we wanted to see this deeper level of ourself we would buy a better lens right you would literally just get bigger and bigger lenses that allow you to look s closer and closer uh, at these layers that are deep within us but in our in ourselves um, the means of magnification is known as avadana or avadana I, avadana actually because of the short syllable a avadana and this translated by Lakshmanju means to put your mind and your intellect on a point that is to be meditated on again and again in continuity without pause and so this becomes our means of magnification when we're able to sustain our focus in continuity that is what drives this experience 
to the deeper layers. So it's not about saying it faster or louder. It's not even necessarily about which mantra it is, even though a living mantra is always going to get you there faster. <laughs> the thing that appears to be the most important is your breakless awareness, your continuity of awareness. In the 21 Taras book um, that we use quite often, on the page right before Bodhicitta, um, the Kempo brothers talk about how to repeat mantra. And it, it, the f I've only heard, I heard Faith read it out loud one time and it just stuck in my head because I was like, well, that's a, it was a, it was a really helpful description of how to repeat it because it helped me understand continuity rather than get distracted by volume or pace or anything. So let's look at how they describe uh, how to do, how we should be doing mantra in order to access these deeper states. Hey Roseanne, thanks for tuning in. Out of town, Roseanne, I think. Why don't you give this one a try? Oh, you'll have to unmute. Unless it's a, you're not in a position to read out loud. Not in a position. Okay. No problemo. Who haven't heard from in a while? Hey Megan. Why don't you give that a shot? Thanks, Megan. Couple of really, I mean, those are really helpful, right? Isn't that interesting? Chant it continuously so that there doesn't appear to be a beginning or end to each repetition. You guys are all muted. Try it. Do your favorite mantra. Everybody can do it. You might hear that humming of bees description that they they also use to describe it they say chant your mantra uh at a speed that is this is interesting it says as quick as possible which makes you think oh okay quickness is important but it says as quick as possible while allowing you to keep each syllable clearly in mind because each syllable is equally important so try that with your favorite mantra Fast as quick as possible, but each syllable. Raise your hand if you're enjoying this tremendously, because I definitely am. I, it just feels good. I'm like, wow, this is super helpful. Really enjoyed that. 
I know Abaya's enjoying it because she hasn't stopped since I mentioned <laughs> it. Okay. So, hey, that's some helpful tips. And those tips really do align with the subtleties of our practice. Um, Lakshmanju goes on to talk a little bit about um, this concept of avadana, um, specifically. Let me just get my cursor. There it is. Um, and he he says something interesting about it. I think see if you all think this is interesting. He says he says that this this kind of effort he he says like comes from above. He actually says that you don't really even have this kind of stamina in you until something has been awakened in you that our small self can't sustain this kind of focus that it has to come from our bigger self it's interesting it makes it feel like a catch-22 you're like wait i have to do practice to become awakened but i have to be awakened to do practice that doesn't make any sense well we do need that spark right you got to run into the practice somewhere you do we do need that help but this is also reminding us that the effort of continuity the effort of avadana is not to be i guess i wouldn't want to say taken lightly but let's just say that for now it's not to be taken lightly is not to be uh, assumed that the actual effort that you use to practice is really special and that our practice itself takes practice that you actually have to prepare for practice and that the way you practice is is pretty special so for example um the bodhicitta practice that we do why do we do that right it's the supreme preparation it's basically trying to help us practice in a really beneficial way it's helping us practice practicing and it's funny you're like oh well it sounds redundant but it's really true as you uh progress in your practice you get better at actually practicing just like a a professional athlete just gets right down to business they know how to focus they know the kind of work that it takes to get the job done so they just get to it doesn't mean they're like grunting more it means they literally just get to it Swami Rujananda said that his enlightenment wasn't being sort of arriving on some pedestal and being like, oh, I'm enlightened, here I am. But he said it was learning how to work, learning how to practice, because the how is just that important, that it literally defines enlightenment itself. It's pretty, pretty cool. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your practice like that, but sometimes I would say my best meditations aren't defined by lights or experiences, but rather my best meditations are the times when I, I get it and I can just plug in and I can just do the work deeply. And I'm like, wow, I'm really covering some ground right now. I'm really like, I'm, I, I, I'm getting the process. I'm actually able to get these wheels turning, and it's, it feels so good. 
not because of where they're taking me or how fast the scenery is going by or anything. It's more like, oh, I'm doing it. And that is itself extremely fulfilling. And I would say the most fulfilling experiences I've had meditating. So the sutra teaches us, you know, a few important things, to say the least. Bija vadanam, bija vadanam. First, it teaches us that we must prepare for a practice in order to cultivate this non-artificial work that we've been talking about for a few sutras now, that the actual way we practice is important. That our practice is a practice in itself. And then next it says, it, will, it teaches us that we should, our sh we should strive for continuity. That that's the true mark of depth. That's how this thing moves. That's how it magnifies. Continuity, the breakless awareness of avadana. And finally, that this breakless awareness that we're preparing to practice is ideally pointed, is most beneficial when pointed toward the seed of your experience. Not towards the foliage, but towards the actual seed, the origin. Where's this thing coming from, the seed? Whether that's like the sound vibration, feeling it at the heart. In our breath, it could be the still points in the breath. In our movement practice, even in our asana practice, it's the space, it's the space from which we move. It's the space that urges our movements. Bijavadanam. So let's take a little time to practice together and then we'll have some time for silent reflection, hence the pen and paper, um, and then we'll have a discussion. So feel free to move around in your seat a little bit. All right, so we're gonna do some mantra together. Um, om, the one we actually started the class with, Om Gam Ganapataye Ma. wonder if it'll be different now. Gam is the seed syllable of that mantra. So pay special attention to the gum moment and then also as you're going, obviously we're going to keep pulling our awareness down to the heart, from the mouth to the throat to the heart, seeking the origin of the mantra. This place, the words of this mantra themselves are actually hidden. And so we're actually trying to go deep enough to where we might not even be hearing the words per se. And then we'll move that into a silent practice. So still a few minutes of this. Gam gana patai namaha Om gam gana patai namaha Om gam gana patai namaha Gam gana patai namaha Om gam gana patai namaha Om 
Anapataye Nama. Hear every syllable. Om Gam Ganapataye Nama. Om Gam Ganapataye Nama. Om Gam Ganapataye Nama. Om Gam Ganapataye Nama. Now continue with that mantra on your own and do it out loud for another minute or so in the way that the Kenpo's um, instructed. Not letting the mantra even appear to have a beginning or end as quickly as possible while still respecting each syllable. And if you're in a group setting, just whisper this quietly. It'll be like buzzing bees in the room. I'm going to mute myself. Keep going at your own pace. Remember, this is your magnifying glass. This continuity is the source of magnification. Find a way to make your mantra continuous. Not necessarily out loud continuous, you gotta breathe. But continuous somehow. And now allow yourself to transition to the breath for the last minute or two. And the breath itself is continuous. If you can hold your focus from one moment of stillness to the next.
at the bottom of your exhale, allow yourself to really be in that pause naturally. And let the inhale flow in naturally from that point. Allow the inhale to fill you naturally like pouring water into a cup. And then allow that breath to very easily release. because we have a lot of different learning styles in any given classroom setting I'd like to allow the next minute and a half or so to be used for reflection to jot down any notes on your experience of continuity in your practice uh, the benefits of continuity or rather it could be about the seed syllable or the seed of the mantra in the heart, for example. And this process of writing is, is a part of the philosophy process. We're reading words that were written by yogis who experienced it. It can help you actually experience, have more clarity on it when it's done with this kind of awareness so i'll be quiet and take a moment to just write notes any kind of note about your experience And so just so you know, I'm going to build in this two minutes of reflection into, into most classes. So um, if this time, it, you know, I know caught us off guard maybe in the future, see if you can bring a little notepad of some kind. Uh, you'd be surprised at how beneficial it can be to start to find this path from the heart to the page. It's just another moment or two.
And from here, the uh, the floor is open. <laughs> floor is open. So raise your hand, unmute, and um, let's let's just allow the discussion to unfold naturally. This is the part of the podcast I usually cut out to make it look like the discussion just starts right up. It's always like I'm like any any comments, and it's always like, yeah, I have a comment. And go ahead, Dion. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't write anything down, but I was like sure. calling uh, an experience that I had a few years ago. Um, it was the most uh, probably the most significant experience in my practice as far as like stood out as like a real important uh, moment of understanding the practice a lot deeper. And um, so it was this uh, moment a few years ago and it was kind of maybe when we were starting the philosophy journey, I can't remember exactly when that was, but um, I was uh, really feeling, and it, and it kind of en encapsulates all the stuff we've been talking about for the last few classes, because I really had, you could, you could call it the wish to grow. I just felt like this really deep need to, I needed my practice to work for me. I was like, okay. And I feel like uh, that they, they're kind of like pointing to that. Like it has to kind of come from, there has to be a real desire here of some kind, authentic, I guess, authentic, you know, an authentic feeling. And so I had that and I, um, and then the way I decided to go about it was because, you know, Babaji talks about um, one single pointed focus is that I was, I was actually driving. So I wasn't even like just sitting on a meditation cushion. I was driving, but I felt this like need for my practice to like get me some somewhere. And um, I decided to just do a mantra and I think it was Om Namah Shivaya and I just focused on it and I didn't let my mind wander. I was like very, because of my desire, it was authentic and it wasn't stressful kind of effort. It wasn't like a willful effort, I guess you might say. It was like a, a effort that was coming from that, from the heart basically. And I just focused on the mantra for not even that long. I don't even think, I think it was like, you know, maybe, I mean, it went on for a while, but I would say I really got into it in 10 or 15 minutes. It was like transformation. And I just didn't let my mind wander at all for like 10 minutes or something. <laughs> and I was just doing the mantra, focusing on every syllable, kind of like we're talking about here. And a big shift occurred. And I just, and I'm sure there was grace involved, but it was just like, wow, I've felt present and I, and more than that, I felt like I understood um, the mind, you know, I understood my mind. Mm. And uh, 
I could, I could see my mind. I was separate from my mind. And so I could see it. And uh, so it was really, and then we, I remember get, uh, doing like a little talk just amongst other people at Shoshone. And we were working with a Shiva Sutra, or I mean, a, a Sutra in the Pratyabhigna Hridayam, I think maybe it was. And it was like about mantra, maybe it was the Shiva Sutra. It was about mantra. And it was like, like a, it ex described like a, like a hawk or something when it sees yeah. Yeah. something. You remember that, that one, that sutra? Yeah, it's, I, I actually referenced it for this one. It's sutra 2.2 in the sutras Prayatna Sadaka, um, which is uh, maintain, maintaining, it's the same thing, pauseless practice, breakless awareness. And the yeah. hawk grabs the meat spontaneously. Yeah. It's like, and it was kind of like that. Um, yeah. What you were just talking about, a professional athlete. It's like, and a hawk, when in that moment, when it's hungry and it needs it needs food for survival, its focus is unwavering. You know, it's like, it's not thinking about anything else. It's focused. Where like a professional athlete that's in the flow or a musician is like completely focused and absorbed in what they're doing. And that's where I was. And uh, yeah, so it was a really... It was a cool experience for sure. <clears throat> Thanks, Dale. I'm just gonna let that soak in. That was special. May we all have a 10 minute mantra breakthrough, you know, that it, that still rings true years later as as a, a clear expression of our practice it's it really seems like everything you said just was like just such a, a an easy way of understanding all the work that we're doing in here especially with these last few sutras so thanks thanks for giving that little gem to all of us Hey, Yogita. Um, what I found that it was hard uh, to be continuous when you had to stop and breathe. So when I wrote, wrote it down, I tried stopping like in the middle of Ganapatiye. You know, mm. I'd go, Patiye uh, Namaha Om Gam Ganapatiye. <laughs> you know, I would try, you know, but yeah, yeah. That, that's what's hard. Because you just you're automatically used to breathing there at the end. I agree. That was actually the, a challenging aspect of that practice. Hmm. I, I I just treated my breath like a syllable. You know, om gum namaha, om gum and like the breath was just I was like, oh, that's the last syllable of the mantra, the first one. Everyone look at it. That eased my mind a little bit because I encountered the same challenge. Oh, this is Anandama. Hey. <laughs> so when you showed that page 44 uh, from the Kempo brothers, the line that struck out at me was having, could you show that page again, <laughs> just really quick? 
okay, that the inner sound of the true nature is merging with the voice. I think I've always done it the other way around, trying to get my voice to merge with the true our true nature. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. I, I tried that line during the mantra and it really felt very different tonight. Nice. Uh, I honestly, I think some of those, that, that line from them is like just a really skillful cue that stops your mind and actually makes you interact with the mantra in the purest form. Like for example, in our teacher training today, we were working with an upper level training. So we're specifically are working with trying to cultivate spaciousness in our cueing uh, to really give room for the inner experience of the student and the teacher. Um, so that we're not just focused on this little cue, but rather like what's around the cue. And one student today said, instead of like lay down on the floor, she said like, um, allow the floor to rise up to meet your back. And everybody did it. And it created a very natural way of laying down, meaning it wasn't so um, linear in the sense of like what it just snapping us into our normal doership mind where it's like, okay, I do everything. Like I'm moving my body. I'm doing this mantra. It just, it just stops your mind. And like it, all of a sudden your, your body laid down really naturally. Um, and in the realm of, uh, biology, you know, um, it is, it is, it is becoming known now in like the movement science community that an ESENT, the way, you know, normally you think of your bicep, it's like, this is like the primary action of your bicep, concentric contraction, but they're starting to say now that eccentric contraction is the more, is actually the, the, what you're using that bicep more throughout your day. And so eccentric meaning like when I'm laying something down on the counter, like that's when my biceps really coming online. And so I think this was like the Kempo brothers way of accessing. It's like a skillful cue that gets you to do the, do it in the most natural way by taking you out of it and letting it come to you. So that that's my interpretation of it. But I think that, the key is that it worked for you. Like, right. It's like a good cue just works. It doesn't have to be explained. And I think that, that that's what happened for you. It just worked. It went right around your mind and took you right into the experience. Is there a hand? Sorry, Bob, you have a hand. Okay. One moment, folks, you can turn on that mic, Bob. Let's see, there you go. You're on. I'm looking to see if I can see Anandama. Anyway, I um, I was oh, I, <laughs> um, if I ask myself, what is mantra without doership? How can you say your mantra without it being you saying it? To me, it, it starts out as saying the mantra and then after a while, letting yourself say it less. 
and listen and see if it's still there. And when they say, meditate that the inner sound of the true nature is merging with the voice, that's what that phrase means to me. Thanks, Bob. Any questions or comments? All right, we have a Neil Neeler approaching the screen. <laughs> Yay, this is like Eldo breaking the ice. All right, go for it. <laughs> hey, everyone. Um, no, actually, what he just said, it made me think of a time, it was um, when Faith was doing the Tara classes. And in one of the meditations, she said that you can become Tara, but then also you can, or when you become Tara, then it's Tara repeating her mantra. So that for me, like really opened up my mantra practice. If, and it kind of, for me, takes away the doership if I imagine that it is, for me, Kali, but it is, Kali repeating her mantra and it comes from that also then it comes from inside of you so then it's also like it makes me feel closer to her in that way too yeah it, it really it feels like that's that's exactly the sutra when it says the seed sometimes we want to think of the seed as a small thing that's not the tree that we associate as the deity in this case, but the seed is the most potent, the most Shiva-like, the most Kali-like essence, you know, even though the, the foliage is hidden, the words are hidden at the heart, that's actually where, you know, the experience of Kali resides. And, and so as we imagine Kali saying the mantra, as us or colleagues you know, it's like really what we're doing there is that that's that's pulling us into the the essence it's keeping us from being distracted by the foliage and it's just it's keeping us one appointed on the where's this mantra taking me so thank you for that I wanted to close with, and I apologize if anybody was like, I was just about to say something. Um, I wanted to close with something that I've sort of had my back pocket for the last three weeks. Um, we are two weeks from the new, the 4th of July intensive, which 
is the absolute independence day in case you're wondering we've been calling it and um just want to remind everybody that like it's a great time to to establish some miniature sun culpa for yourself to lead up to that you know um two weeks is a long time it really is you can do a lot in two weeks to make that intensive just like fireworks maybe not on the outside but on the inside and um and so a fun little way that i thought could tie into the sutra and um, that could be a little miniature sankalpa for some of us that would like to participate is, is looking at like our day, you know, it's overwhelming to try and think of breakless awareness throughout your day. It's not going to happen <laughs> unless you just have a breakthrough and you're just like, you're there. But um, so instead of thinking of like, oh, I want to bring my practice into my day. So I'm going to do it all day. We know that. Hmm, um, trying to just establish checkpoints throughout your day could be a really great way of exploring what breakless awareness would look like from your morning sit to your evening sit. So imagine if you took the, uh, the meditative capacity of a 30 minute meditation and you spread it out over a 12 hour day, what would that look like? Two and a half minutes of practice per hour. I didn't just do that math right now. Um, I did it a while ago. So two and a half minutes of practice per hour. And so um, you might enjoy, I did, I downloaded an app that chirps at me, like it has actual bird sound every hour. Um, and you can set it to which part of the hour. And uh, then you just do your practice. And uh, there's something really fantastic I found over the last couple of weeks um, was that one, this sounds like something we've all done in like sixth grade when we were like, I want to do something better. And you, I'm going to set this reminder app to tell me a hundred times. Um, I'll tell you the name of the app in a sec. Um, and, uh, but the sutras actually made this more meaningful to me. This be, instead of this being like yet another thing, it actually was like, no, this is real. Um, because it really was like, this is real. I break loose awareness is real. I want it. What I realized was every time that bird chirped at me, I was surprised every time I was like, yeah, actually I, I could do it right now. I thought I am so busy. I could never do two minutes of practice an hour, but every time it chirped, I was like, um, this does look like a pretty good time. Or if it wasn't five minutes later, it was a pretty good time. You know what I mean? It was like weird how many more opportunities I thought there were in reality than I would have thought there were. And, uh, something that really opened the door for me was like, I'm just doing a, I'm imagining this as like a slice of my half hour practice. And I'll wrap this up. I know we're over time. Just I'll finish this here real quick. Just imagine taking a two minute slice out of your morning practice. So you just sit down and you just tap into your morning practice. That's where you go. Um, you don't have to respond to like things. You're not trying to surrender whatever your boss just said to you. You just do your morning practice, quote unquote, for two minutes. Um, it's a slice. And what it'll actually end up also helping with is it makes you really take that morning practice more seriously because you realize this is the pie I'm slicing out of for the rest of the day. So I better make, I better cook this pie. Like this is the thing I'm going to be eating out of all day. Um, so it actually made my morning practice. I took more responsibility for it. I was sitting there being like, 
I need this. So, um, so anyway, very beneficial, surprisingly so for something that I honestly, you know, we've all thought of or done before. And, uh, and I'd love to check in with you, you know, um, near to absolute independence day, which is coming right up. And so the, uh, name of the app, I actually don't know it off the top of my head. It's called chirps chirps. It's a free app and it was really simple and intuitive. You have to set it every day, which is on the one hand, hilarious, but on the other hand, just took a couple of clicks and I was like, oh yeah, I should be setting this every day because I should have to say every day I want to do this. So it actually worked out pretty well. Um, so I'll stop there. Uh, happy to take any questions or comments for anybody who wants to stay a little later, but it is overtime. So thank you all so much for your focus and your uh, attention. Namaste.